good morning. Hey, all right. Well, good morning. My name's Eric, and I'm the pastor here. And if you are a guest of ours, if you're joining us online, we are so grateful that you are uh, with us this morning. And grateful that those of you who call Freedom Home are here as well. Uh, for those of you who are, are not sure about freedom or kind of what we're about, but one of the things we do is we primarily teach through books of the Bible. So we are in the book of Gen- uh, Galatians, rather, um, and uh, we are in Galatians, and we will be in this book pretty much through the fall. And uh, as we dive into what uh, Paul is teaching us about the gospel in this incredible book. And here's, here's, uh, here's what I want you to know this morning. The single greatest argument for or against Christianity has always been the same. The greatest argument for or against Christianity has always been the same. And it is Christians. You and I are the greatest argument for or against Christianity. If you're judgmental, hypocritical, holier than thou, that is a case against following Jesus. When people outside of the church see us and they say, well, that person is judgmental, they're hypocritical, they're, they're holier than thou, they, 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 I can't relate to them, guess what? That is a case against Christianity. However, when you and I live a transformed, changed life, a life that is surrendered to Christ, a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, a life that is bringing glory to God, that is a case for Christianity. And this morning, I want you to know there's, Paul's going to show us an incredibly important lesson. And that is this. When God transforms a life, there is always a testimony. When God transforms a life, when he changes your life, there is always a testimony. Every single follower of Jesus Christ has a story to tell. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you have a story. God has given you a story, and your story is meant to be told. Your story is meant to be shared. You're not supposed to hide your story, to keep your story to yourself. Your story is designed and created to be shared. Why? Because God wants to tell his story through your story. God wants to be able to to tell his story. And your testimony, your story, is a simple yet compelling way to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And every single one of us, if you are a Christ follower, has a testimony. Now, I know right now, just the thought of sharing your testimony, some of you, your palms are getting a little sweaty. You're getting a little nervous. You're thinking, all right, pastor's going to call on me to share my testimony in front of all these people. I'm freaking out right now. Anybody with that? Like you freak out when somebody, when you start thinking about having to share your story. Others of you may be thinking, you know what? My story's not that powerful. My story doesn't really matter. I mean, I, I, never, I never lived down the streets. I never sold drugs. I never committed any really big sins. So my story is, is just not that compelling. It's just not that powerful. And maybe that's what you're thinking right now. Maybe you're thinking, man, I grew up in church. I just kind of went from, from the cradle to, to church. And I mean, from 
the moment I was born, I've been in church, and so it's the kind of always been a part of my life, and, and, and my story's just not that compelling. But here's the reality. You've got that is all completely wrong. Here's the truth. According to Scripture, all of us, every single one of us, are in need of grace. Every single person is in need of grace. Every one of us have been born into darkness, and it is through God's grace that he transfers us into the light. Every single person is born dead in their trespasses and sins. And by God's grace, he brings us new life in Christ. But not only are each and every one of us in need of grace, each and every one of us are in need of a rescue. We're in need of a rescue. In other words, we are all sinners no matter how dull your story is no matter how boring you think your story is no matter how how you think man there's you know my story has no big is no big deal every single one of us are in need of a savior because every single one of us are sinners and so all of our stories are compelling and at the end of galatians 1 the last half of galatians 1 paul is going to put the gospel on display he's going to put the glory of god's grace on display and he's going to give us a picture of god's transforming grace by sharing his story he's going to write out his story for us to read this morning and he's sharing it with the churches in galatia and he's going to show us that paul went from being a terrorist who terrorized the church of god to an evangelist who preached for the glory of god an incredible transformation happens in Paul's life. He goes from terrorist to evangelist. And he's going to share that with us. Because the reality is no matter what your past has been like, when we come to Christ, we don't need just a few tweaks and some minor adjustments. Like, God, if you could just kind of make, maybe change me just a little bit, maybe just do a few tweaks here or there. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person to begin with, so maybe I just need a few minor adjustments, you know. That's not the way it works. All of us need transformation. And it is only through the gospel that you and I are transformed from the inside out. And that's the transformation that we need. And so in this section, at the last half of, of Galatians 1, there's going to be two themes that dominate this section. The first one is the origin of Paul's gospel. And the second is going to be the transformation of Paul's life. And so let's look at the origin of his message. And in order to do that, we need to remember what we talked about last week. Last week we said that, that Paul's message, this, his message of the gospel was under attack. There were Judaizers who had, who had infiltrated the church and, and they would go and they would proclaim that Paul's gospel, though it was good, it was incomplete. They would say that, you know, Paul doesn't preach the full gospel. He doesn't Give us all everything. He, I mean, he's not a true apostle. Therefore, he doesn't know the true gospel. They, they were saying, listen, Paul's message is good. You need Christ. Belief in Christ is where you begin in order to be saved. But then they would say that his message is incomplete. In order to be saved, you need, the, the, you need to believe in Christ. You need to have faith in Christ plus, plus religious works, plus good works. And so Paul's message is under attack. And then... And, and then be picking up in verse 10, here's what Paul says. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now let's stop right there just for one second. 
Paul is saying, listen, if you are a people pleaser, it is very difficult to please Jesus. And that's tough because we all want to, we all have a little bit of people pleaser in us. But he's saying, listen, if you are worried about what man is going to think, if you are worried about what your neighbor is going to think, if you are worried about what your family members are going to think, if you follow Christ, it's going to be very difficult to follow Christ. Then he picks up in verse 11. For I would have you know that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let's stop right there. Paul makes it very clear that the gospel that he preached, the gospel that he had had shared with the churches throughout Galatia, was given to him by divine revelation, not by human imagination. He makes it abundantly clear that the gospel that he preached, he didn't make it up. It was not something that he just took out of the sky. No, he is saying that the gospel that I preach was given to me directly by God. I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus shared this gospel with me. Man did not invent the gospel. God did. Therefore, the gospel is the standard by which we should measure every single set of ideas Every philosophy and every other religion should be measured based on the gospel. That's what Paul's telling us. He's saying the gospel is not made up. It's not, it's not, it's not something that I just came up with. And here's the reality. If you really think about it, we wouldn't make up this gospel, would we? I mean, we wouldn't make up a gospel that says we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. We're not, we're, none of us would make that gospel up. We wouldn't make a gospel up and says that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's just not a gospel we would make up. If you and I were to make up a gospel, if we were to say, you know what, here's how you get right with God. Here's how you earn favor with God. Here's how you are saved. Here's how you earn salvation. Here's how you make it to heaven. Guess what we do? We would come up with some way that we'd bring ourselves glory. We'd create a competition out of it. We'd create a way to win. Because if you can't win, why play the game, right? And so this is, this is the gospel we'd come up with. Say, You know what? I have to do certain things in order to earn salvation. That's why every religion that is man-based is against the gospel. And every other religion is works-based except for Christianity. Why? Because we wouldn't make up this gospel. We would make up a gospel that would be about human achievement. We would make up a gospel that would be about what I can do. Why? Because our natural default, every single human being's natural default is works-based righteousness. There's got to be something I can do. What do I need to do to earn salvation? Because we want to earn it. And the message of grace is counterintuitive. The message of God's grace offered to us is, is against our natural sensibilities. We, we, we think that we have to do something to earn salvation. But Paul makes it abundantly clear that the gospel of God's grace, the good news of new life found in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
was not made up by man. It was given directly by God. And then what Paul does, he says, in order to prove it, in order to show you that this gospel was not made up by man, in order to prove that the, re- the reliability of the gospel, what Paul does is he shares his own story. He doesn't go through some, some deep theological training. He doesn't say, you know what, here's all the things I learned in seminary. Here's all the things that I learned in Sunday school. Here's all the things that I know. That's not what he does. What does he do? He says, let me show you the reliability of the gospel by just sharing my story. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now, let's stop right there. What is Paul doing? He's saying, listen, here is the beginning of my story. And the first thing I want you to notice is Paul's need for grace. Paul's need for grace. This is his pre-conversion. Before he met Jesus, Paul thought that all Christians were heretics. He thought that they had deserted Judaism. They had left behind the religion of their fathers. So what did he do? He persecuted them. He tried to destroy the church. And if you know anything about Paul's story, you know that Paul was a man who did really bad things in the name of religion. Why? Because he thought he was doing the right thing. By persecuting Christians, Paul thought he was doing the right thing for God. He thought he was doing the things that, that, that he was supposed to do, and he justified his cruelty because he thought he was in the right. He thought he was doing it for the glory of God. And by the time Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, we know that Paul had, had, was, was extremely religious but filled with hate. And he had witnessed and approved of the arrest, the imprisonment, and even the death of many innocent Christians. And in fact, as Paul was traveling to Damascus, his purpose was to imprison and arrest even more. And in 1 Timothy, Paul refers to himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man. Then he calls himself the worst of all sinners. Paul is saying, listen, I was a highly religious man, and yet I was the worst of all sinners. Paul was highly religious, though. He had spent years following the Jewish customs. He had spent years following Judaism to a T, even above and beyond what was required of him by the law of Moses. Paul had done everything he possibly could in order to do what was right according to the Mosaic law. He says that he was a rising star in Judaism, that he was advanced far beyond his years, that that people that, that were in Judaism were looking up to him. Paul kind of viewed himself, and, and others viewed himself as this, this champion of the Phariseeism, this champion of the Old Testament law, this champion of Judaism. Paul was not only that, he was zealous for moral righteousness. He did everything he possibly could to live a moral and upright life, which shows how he 
he justified his cruelty because he thought he was doing it for the sake of God. That's Paul's life before Christ. Before his conversion, he was the model religious rule keeper. Like, folks, Paul was nailing it. He was doing everything he thought he was supposed to do, including persecuting Christians. He was a modern-day hero. That's who Paul was. But what this shows us is that no amount of religion, no amount of moral zeal, no amount of works-based righteousness can make anyone right with God. But Paul is a classic example of someone who had sincere beliefs but was sincerely wrong. Sincerity does not save us. You can be full of religion and miss Christ completely. And that was Paul before he, before he gave his life to Christ. And yet despite all of that, Despite all of that, Paul was redeemed by Christ. There's no clearer example than the life of Paul that salvation is by grace alone. Because if anyone could have been saved by works, by religious righteousness, it would have been Paul. But Paul's story, his experience shows us that no one is so bad that they don't need grace. And no one is so, is so good they don't need grace. And no one is so bad that they can't receive grace. Paul was deeply religious, but needed the gospel. And Paul was deeply flawed, and he was reached by the gospel. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, when was the last time you marveled at the fact that God has saved you? When was the last time you just reminded yourself of the fact that Christ saved you? That you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And God, by His grace, provided that Savior for you. Not because you deserved it, but simply because of His grace. What amazing grace. When was the last time you reminded yourself of that? Listen, church, we talk about this all the time, but we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to remind ourselves every day of the fact that we are sinners saved by grace. And, and we desperately need a Savior. And God gloriously provided that Savior through Christ Jesus. We need to remind ourselves of that constantly. So the first thing we see is, is we see Paul's need for grace. Second thing we see is God's work of grace. What Paul's going to go into this next section, he's going to show us how he was saved. He's going to show us what God did in order to redeem him. He's going to show us how he came to know Jesus. After painting this picture of his lost condition, Paul is going to, to step into the part of his story that describes how God interrupted his life by grace. Look what he says in verse 15. Uh, verse, uh, 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Let's stop right there. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, God set me apart 
called me by his grace and revealed his son to me. So let's talk about what that salvation looks like. Because I believe this is true of each and every one of us. If you are a follower of Christ, this is the process that every single one of us have gone through for salvation. First of all, we need to understand that salvation is God's intervention. It's not your own strength. It's not your own works. It is God's intervention. Look at verse 15, the very first word in verse 15, this glorious word, but. But God. That word but is a word of rescue. We were desperately lost. We were in our lost, dead in our trespasses and our sin, but God. But God rescued us. But God redeemed us. Now, we use that word to describe uh, good news, don't we? I mean, think about it. The other team scored a touchdown. But there was a flag on the play. Right? We're excited now as a fan. We were in a car wreck on the way to church, but no one was hurt. That's good news, right? Been diagnosed with cancer, but it's treatable. So that word but is a word of rescue. It is a word that, that brings hope. And what Paul is saying is that God himself intervened in his life. And the truth of the matter is that God has done the same thing for you if you are a follower of Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has intervened into your life. And if you are a believer in Christ, you have received your own, very, your own holy but. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So salvation is God's intervention in our lives, but God. The second thing I want you to see is that salvation involves God's eternal planning. Salvation was God's idea from the very beginning. Look what it says. God, Paul says, but God, who did what? Set me apart before I was born. Have you ever thought about that? God set you apart for his salvation before you were even born. That's how much God loves you. And Paul says, God set me apart before I was born. Now think about this in Paul's life. Paul resisted God. He thought he was religious, but he was actually resisting God. Paul persecuted his church. And yet God was using those experiences, even those failures of Paul, to prepare him for his conversion and to prepare him for his calling. That's amazing grace, isn't it? To think that God would use your failures and use those times where you are resistant to him in order to prepare you, in order to call you, in order to set you apart for his purposes. It's amazing to think that all of Paul's Old Testament knowledge, all of his zeal, all of his training, all the effort that he had used to oppose the church was now being used by God to break him, to bring him to a point where he realized his need for grace. And it was those very things that God used to equip him to build his church. That's incredible. And that's what Paul's saying is that, that God, the salvation is part of God's eternal planning. God chose you. And God has equipped you. 
And his idea for you began at the beginning of time. For all eternity, God had you in mind. When Jesus was on that cross, God had you in mind. And see, when you and I begin to view our lives through the lens of the gospel, when we begin to see how the gospel impacts every facet of our lives, we realize that God has been preparing and shaping us even through our rebellion, even through our sin, even through our failures to become vessels of his grace to the world. Third thing I want you to see about salvation that Paul shares in these verses is that salvation involves God's gracious calling. Look what he says. But when God, who set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. God called Paul by his grace. And if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, God has done the same thing for you. He has called you by his grace. There was some point in your life where you began to sense something or someone tugging at you, calling you, prompting you, leading you to understand and see his grace. For some of us, it may have been during a sermon. For some of us, it may have been alone in the room. For some of us, it may have been been in a worship service or some small group. But at some point in your life, you realize that God was calling you. Now, for me, it was uh, back when I, the summer before my 10th grade year in high school, or the summer of my 10th grade year in high school. I had been going to church. Our family had started going to church when I was in 8th grade, and I did everything I could to disprove what my parents now believed about the gospel. I mean, I, I hated church. I hated the whole idea of, of surrendering my life to anybody. I wanted to earn my own salvation. And so, like, I just fought against it and fought against it and fought against it. Well, finally, my parents, along with some friends, convinced me to go to summer camp. And basically, they coerced me. They said, look, well, you get to go to the beach. It's going to be incredible. I had no idea what it was going to be all about. But, you know, I was just saying, yeah, cool, the beach. That's awesome. I'll do two summer vacations, one with the church and one with my family. And so they convinced me to go to summer camp. And I was like, I don't want to go. But they're like, it's going to be fun. But, you know, anyway finally decided to go. Folks, I didn't even get to summer camp before the Holy Spirit started working on my heart. I got on the bus, the bus in Atlanta, Georgia, to drive to Florida for summer camp, and the Holy Spirit stopped me dead in my tracks and said, you are a sinner in need of grace. You are lost and you cannot save yourself. I mean, I was overcome, overwhelmed by this sense of urgency that I went, uh, I went to one of our Sunday school teachers, our Sunday school leaders, uh, Mr. Joseph. And I said, listen, Mr. Joseph, I need to talk to you. He goes, okay, when? Like now. And we sat there on that bus before we even made it to summer camp. And he walked me through the gospel. He showed me how much God loved me. He showed me the fact that I was a sinner in need of grace. He showed me that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was for me in order that I can be saved. And I gave my life to Christ right there on that bus. Now listen, church, you have the same experience if you're a follower of Christ. At some point in your life, now it's not going to look identical, but at some point in your life, you felt like the Holy Spirit was tugging. You realized your need 
for grace. And that's what Paul said. He said, he called me by his grace. That calling is an act of God's grace. Paul wasn't searching for God. I wasn't searching for God. I was an enemy of God. Paul was an enemy of God. But what did God do? God in his goodness called Paul. He called me. He called you. And he saved us because of his grace. Look at the fourth and final thing I want you to see when it comes to salvation. Paul says salvation involves seeing the glory of Christ. Look at verse 16. I was pleased to reveal his son to me. God made known to Paul the glory of the risen Christ. The power of the risen Christ. Paul, is, his eyes are open and he's able to see what Christ has done for him. And that is the same for you and I. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has opened your eyes. Paul described this in 2 Corinthians 4. For God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, when we give our lives to Christ, God opens our eyes. We are blind and, and, and God opens our eyes so that we can see the glory of the risen Christ. That his glory and his knowledge would be shown in the face of Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. God has revealed Jesus to us. And Paul was, Jesus was revealed to Paul on this Damascus road. Now the reality is you and I may not have a Damascus road experience. But every single one of us, we are a Christ follower, have had a 2 Corinthians 4 experience. Where we finally opened, our eyes were open and we were able to see Jesus for who he is. By God's spirit and by God's grace, he makes the reality of Christ known to us. That's what salvation involves. That's what salvation is all about. We are blind until God opens our eyes. And the moment God opens our eyes and the moment we receive Christ, we are given new life and we are made new creations in Christ. But then Paul's not done. He's kind of get, walked us through his salvation experience that it was God's intervention, that it was God's eternal planning, that it was God's calling, that it was revealing the glory of Christ to him. But then he gets to his third and final section. And then what he does, he talks about his, the result of grace. So he's talked about his need for grace. He's talked about God's work of grace. And then he talks about the result of God's grace. Here's what happened as a result of God's grace. The second half of verse 16. In order, so God did all of that, Paul says, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. In other words, Paul was... Paul was, was not going immediately to, to Jerusalem. He said, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and, who's Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw no one of the, uh, none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Sicily, and I, was no, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only are hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, after I received Christ, I didn't go immediately to Jerusalem. Rather, I allowed 
Christ to teach me this gospel message, to empower me with this gospel message. And then once I, once I realized I had the gospel message, then I went, three years later, I went to Jerusalem and I met with Peter and I met with James, Jesus' half-brother. Just to confirm, as we're going to see in the coming weeks, he went to them just to confirm that everything he was preaching was correct, that the gospel message that he had was true. And then he says he went to the Gentiles. He says he went to, he went to Syria and to Sicily and he pre, uh, 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 Cilicia, and he went and he preached the gospel. So Paul is showing us how God has transformed his life. Even those who didn't know him by name knew that the one who persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So here's what I want you to see in this last section of this text. And that is this. The salvation, that our salvation, us coming to know Christ, being revealed, the glory of Christ, our eyes being opened, that work of salvation is not where the work of grace ends. It's just the beginning. It is just the beginning of God's work of grace. It is grace that brings us to faith. It is grace that empowers us to live out our faith. And it is grace that equips us to serve him. That's what we need to see in this, this section. That once you become a Christian, once you and I start following Jesus, it's not like we go, okay, now I need to go work it out in my own flesh. I need to go work it out in my own strength. I need to go live out my faith in my own power. No, the same way we enter the kingdom is the same way we live in the kingdom, by grace. In fact, Paul is going to show us in, in the next chapter, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You and I live out this, this Christian life, this gospel-centered life. We live it out by grace. We don't live it in our own power. But here's what I want you to notice, that after Paul's conversion, he immediately realizes that God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. It's important for us to understand that God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. And listen, church, God wants to do the same thing in you and I. God revealed Jesus to us so that he could reveal Jesus through us. So that we could be gospel carriers where we live, work, and play. Our conversion to Christ comes with a commission to go in the name of Christ. And that's what Paul's showing us. We're not saved just for our own benefit, our own comfort, our own joy. No, we are saved to make Christ known to others. There's a passage of scripture in, in 1 Peter 2. You don't have to turn there. Just write it down because I, I, think, I think it's an incredible passage. And it's probably one that you may be familiar with. We, it, it describes who we are in Christ. And it says this, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you, that is us as followers of Christ, are a chosen race. You've heard this verse? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Man, that is exciting, isn't it? To know that as Christians, we are a chosen race. God has chosen you. You are a royal priesthood. You are an heir of, of salvation in him. You are a holy nation, a people of his own possession. But then the part we often miss is the next section. It says that. 
Here's why all those things happened. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is he saying? Peter is saying the exact same thing Paul was saying. God has made you a holy nation. God has called you. God has made you a royal priesthood. God has possessed you. Why? So that you may proclaim Christ to the nations. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, church, this story of Paul, this, this message that Paul delivers, this, this transformation in Paul's story should cause each and every one of us to rejoice in the gospel. It should cause each and every one of us to be overwhelmed by the gospel because there's no other love is so great. No other hope is so secure. No other forgiveness is so complete. No other joy is this deep. No other freedom is this liberating. No other peace is this sweet except what is found only in the grace of Christ Jesus. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this passage, this message that Paul has given us of his story? I think it reminds us, Paul's testimony is an example for each and every one of us. It's an example of, of how our story should center in on the gospel and what Jesus has done. That our story is to be shared. Our story is to, is to be used as a framework for delivering the good news of the gospel message. Remember, we don't share our story for ourselves. We do it to help, under, help others understand and find Christ. The point is to reveal the amazing grace of God in the gospel. And Paul gives us really a simple model for sharing your story. If you've ever wondered, like, how do I share my story? How do I share my testimony? If someone comes up to me, as Paul says, you know, be ready, be equipped to share the hope that you've received. Um, how do we do that? Like, what does that look like? Well, Paul gives us a model here. And first of all, it's this. We need to, sh- we need to tell what happened before we came to know Christ. Talk about your need for grace. We need to share precisely how we came to know Christ. Talk about God's work of grace. And we need to share the result of our life, how it's changed after we've come to know Christ. Share the result of grace. That's the model. That's what Paul shows us when it comes to sharing our story. I think so often, I know, like in my own story, I got focused too much on the worthless sinner that I was and not the good grace of God that was given to me. And so be careful not to share just what a worthless human being you were before Christ, uh, although some of you were. Um, And I was. Paul even calls himself the worst of all sinners. But I think so often when we share our stories, we get lost in in, in that aspect of our stories, the shameful sin before Christ is opposed to the transforming power of the gospel of Christ. And Paul, you can see, I mean, he, he shared, he spent two verses on his life before Christ and then the rest of the chapter 16 through 24 on what God had done through him. But here's what I want you to hone in on. Look at verse 24 one more time. And they glorified God because of me. And they glorified God because of me. 
See, I believe that each and every one of us has someone in our lives that needs to hear your story. Could be a family member, could be a co-worker, could be a neighbor. But God has given you your story in order to share it. And I believe that each and every one of us has someone that needs to hear our story. And my prayer for us is that we would be so transformed by the grace of the gospel that we would be compelled to share our story with anyone who will listen. And as a result of them hearing our story, they would glorify God because of us. And so, Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you so much for this gospel of good news. This gospel that so transformed Paul's life. This gospel that so wrecked him and shaped him and changed him. And Father, I pray that we would be so overwhelmed with that same gospel because we realize it wasn't just for Paul, but it's for us. It wasn't just designed to change Paul's life and transform Paul's life. You've given it to transform our lives. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be so overwhelmed with the gospel that we would be wanting to share our story, our life before Christ and our need for grace, how we came to know Christ and just to reveal the work of your grace and how our lives have been changed as a result of following Christ and the result of your grace. Lord, I pray that we would be so compelled to share that simple story that our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members, our friends would all glorify God because of us. And we know it's not because of us, but it's because of your grace working in us. Because, Father, we know that you have revealed Jesus to us so that you can reveal Jesus through us. And, Father, I pray for anyone here this morning that has never experienced the power of that grace. They've never come to know the grace of the gospel, that Jesus died for their sins, that he rose again three days later, and that he offers salvation to all who will call upon him. Lord, I pray for anyone that's in this room or watching online that's never experienced that grace, that today they would just cry out to you, Jesus, I need your grace. I need your gospel. And so, Father, we, we so thank you for the work that you do in our lives. And may, we, may you be glorified as we share what you've done to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of quick things, church, before we go into a time of worship. If you have today realized your need for grace, your need for a Savior, and you've never, you've never believed in, the, in, in Jesus Christ, you've never placed your faith in Him, my encouragement to you is to do so today. Acknowledge your belief. But here's what I'd love for you to do. If that's you today, I would love for you to talk to someone that invited you. I'd love for you to talk to someone that's sitting near you and say, look, I want to follow Jesus. I want to place my faith and trust in him. And we'll be glad. You can come talk to me after the service. We'll be glad to help you walk 
those next steps of being a Christ follower. And secondly, I want to talk about two other opportunities we have to share the love of Christ with, with our community. One we talked about last week, and that is this need that we've noticed of the, the homeless population growing in our area, particularly around Boy Scout Road and Washington Road. And so one of the things we're doing is you can sign up in the lobby and you can sign up. We're going to create baskets as the winter months come get soon, so are soon upon us. We want you to um, help us put together some, some care baskets, and we're going to put the, share the gospel as we hand these out and, and help people understand that, that, yes, we want to meet their physical needs, but there's also we want to meet their spiritual needs. And so we're going to be doing that. We're going to be putting those things together over the next couple of months, collecting those items over the next couple of months, and then in November, end of October, 1st of November, we're going to hand those out. But just wanted you to be aware of that. And secondly, we're going to um, do an outreach to our community, just an opportunity just to tell the community around us that we love them. And we're going to do a trunk or treat on October 30th. And again, you may or may not have children, um, but it's not about whether or not you have children. It's about let's show our community, our neighbors, that we love them and that we're here for them. You know, so often people only know the church by what we're against as opposed to what we're for. And so we just, this is just an opportunity we feel um, we haven't done in a couple of years just because of pandemics and other things. And so we just felt like this year would be a great year to do that. So just put that on your radar. Begin praying now as a church for people you can invite. Just pray for our community as we invite them uh, to this, that they would not only, you know, just come for a fun night, uh, but that they would experience the love of Christ as a result of being here. And so those things are the only two things I had to announce. But you guys, let's stand up. Let's worship this Savior of ours that provides his grace so freely to each and every one of us. Let's worship him.